matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Happy New Year, I guess we can put it that way, since it is our first show of the year. And you are now joining us on Talk Talk. It's your life, Matters of the Mind. I'm Dr. Peter Sacco. I'm host of this wonderful show, which looks at your issues surrounding not only what's bugging you, but what's concerning you. Or if there's something really cool or interesting that you want to talk about, of course, you can always email us. And when I say us, that would be my co-host and producer of the show, one Todd Miller. How are you, Todd? Good morning. Yes, uh, doing well. And uh, let's just throw it right out there. We're on Facebook. Uh, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco's on Facebook. Listen Up Talk. You can find us at Listen Up Talk Radio. You can find us on Twitter uh, at Listen Up Talk. So there's uh, and and of, of course there's email, and that is uh, Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. Many ways to reach us, and you can even phone us, 866-269-6155. There's something you want to get off your chest and have us discuss on the show, and of course, it will be anonymous. Anonymity is always a good thing, Todd, especially when folks have some really interesting or bizarre things they would want to talk about. In the past, it's been stuff on vampires, zombies, ghosts, and then also the serious stuff um, that relates to addictions, that relates to mental health matters, which is basically the concept of our show. And anything else, folks, that you think that you are really concerned about or think others would like to hear about and get your two cents on it. I think that's one of the strong the strengths of this show is that we've been able to embrace many things that occupy space in the gray matter and that's the abnormal stuff the the shocking stuff you know to addictions to to all sorts of mental health struggles that that I I would be uh safe to say that affect a, a vast majority of people. Absolutely. And in fact um you know we did a you know some fun stuff uh from Halloween onward um that looked at you know the paranormal stuff because we had a lot of emails and a lot of people wanting to hear about that kind of stuff but now that it's the 2015 new year season the winter season uh, i guess one of the greatest uh, questions that come up is have you kept your resolutions and if one of your resolutions was to overcome an addiction or a bad habit how has that gone for you ooh that would be a tough one to make especially around christmas because i know um, you know, with there's uh, let's just face it. Generally, at Christmas and New Year's, there's there's more alcohol served, and I would think there would be a tendency to overdo it a little more than the rest of the year. So, I personally, if that were my my struggle, I would have a hard time committing to that as a New Year's resolution unless I really overdid it and I was like, okay, this has to stop. Oh yeah, right about yeah. You know, that that's kind of where it, where it goes, Todd, when you're looking at this as the stop and goes. I'm sure a lot of people had the best of intentions where they really piled it on, got it all in over the holidays, and then said, hey, I'm going to go cold turkey, I'm going to quit. I'm going to start a new life, right, January 1st. And then usually the best of uh, intentions laid are not usually met because people will have stopped them. They will have gotten to this point now, which we're at. Uh, what are we at? Where now? The thirteenth. We're at the fifteenth. Believe it. Or not. Sorry, fourteenth. Wow. Where's my calendar? The fourteenth. 
And, and you, know, you know, you look at that. So we're two weeks in, and generally it takes 21 to 28 days to overcome a bad habit you know, or, and or an addiction and also to create a new one. And so where we're at with that right now is some folks never went the full three to four weeks with it. And you might have said, hey, I am done as dinner. I'll try at another point this year. Um, I'll try to get the circumstances right. And what we've talked about on the show in the past, the circumstances are always right here right now because all you have is the present moment. Let me ask you about that because you touched on an interesting point. I've heard that 21-day rule. I've heard the 30-day rule. Now, is there is there some fact in that or is it just a widely, a widely held belief that um, it takes 21 or 30 days to, uh, to cultivate a habit, a new habit? Does the, does the brain actually get rewired in that time? Yes, it does actually. In fact, new neural pathways are created within the brain, which then you get into the whole debate, is the mind in the brain, is the mind in the heart? Where's the mind come in? Is it different from the spirit, from the soul, the whole nine yards? But basically, our brains are the hard drives, so to speak, if you want, our thoughts are the software packages that we put in. And over a period of time, it's almost like if you go to your computer and you keep going in your same browser window and putting in the same email or, or sorry, uh, address, mm -hmm. eventually you don't even have to type the whole thing in. It just, bam, comes right up. And that's how our brains work too, to a degree with neural pathways, that when we do things a certain amount of time, it becomes basically habitual, uh, a conditioned response if you want to go by Pavlov's salivating dogs ringing the bell. And that's how kind of we respond, Todd. And it's the same thing with this. A lot of people give up on change a positive change in their life when they are just about turning the corner and just about to embark on something really great for themselves. But they just said, you know what? I can't do this. Uh, oh, it's too tough. Look, I haven't succeeded yet. But that's the problem. We want instant results instantly, instant gratification. And the problem is with a lot of folks, you just got to be a little patient. But most of all, have belief in yourself. So, yeah, I mean, that, that holds true for weight loss. It holds true for pretty much anything in our lives. We just aren't patient enough and dedicated enough. And it's funny. Somebody was joking uh, last week on Facebook that they're going to open a gym for two weeks. So, so the first two weeks of January, it's going to be a gym. And then on day 15, it switches to a bar because most people give up on the fitness and go back to their old whatever they used to do. Oh, and you know what? That's basically what it is. And a lot of unfortunate um, facts to this whole thing is resolutions, but also just create, you know, quitting your bad habits or picking up new habits, working out, losing weight, eating right and all that kind of stuff. A lot of it is fat. And unfortunately, it's too much media driven. And you have to pick it for yourself, that which you want to see change. So why do we leave it to the end of the year? Is there, is it pressure from the media because you know everyone's ramping up you know celebrations and then everyone starts talking about it and are we sort of collectively pulled into this whirlwind of oh my god it's the end of the year i need to work on this i need to better myself is that what it's all about or um how do you explain this collective need to create resolutions at the end of the year once again i think you nailed it todd it's more of a a, a media phenomenon peer pressure even pure peer pressure marketing ploys marketing gimmicks and the fact that the year is over out with the old in with the new but if you subscribe to the great mind albert einstein he says basically time and space are illusions so really 2014 and 2015 don't exist we've only created these for ourselves and we use that marker 
that uh, January 1st that, hey, this is a new day. It must be a new me. But guess what? It, do you who you are, no matter where you go, you take you with you. So if you're still having those old negative thinking patterns or you're, um, you know, you look at yourself w with basically, I don't like myself. I think I've got to change. I've got to do all this then you're going to have to probably recreate yourself because a lot of people will hold the same values, the same thought patterns, the same cognitive processes from the last year, and you've got to change that. So change is an inside job, folks. So it's, a, it's an arbitrary marker that a lot of people uh, get worked up about, and there's no reason why, even now, we're sitting on January 14th, People shouldn't be depressed that they didn't make any resolutions or they feel they've missed the boat. I didn't make any, so I can't make any now, and I'm just going to have to suffer through this year until until December 31st, 2015. Then I can make resolutions again. There's no better time than the present, correct? Absolutely, Todd. And in fact, you know what? It's interesting that you brought it up because right about now, there's a phenomenon called the Blue Monday effect. Um, which in January, a lot of people will start experiencing and going through seasonal affective disorder, the winter blahs, and a lot of it is perpetuated by the holiday season. And you go, really? Well, we're past the holiday season. But right about now, those credit card bills are coming in the mail, you know, that you all ran up during the holidays thinking, well, I'll worry about it later. And a lot of people will succumb to this, feel really negative and distraught and upset about this, and will start drinking, um, more caffeine consumption goes up right around this time of year because a lot of people are tired. And with that said, this brings us to what we're going to talk about on the show today. We've got a great guest, Annie McCullough, an amazing woman who is a very big recovery um, advocate here in Canada who's bringing a tremendous recovery symposium to uh, our area here in Canada, and she's going to talk about it on her show. She is the National Director of Marketing at Edwidge Health Network in Toronto. Cool, and uh, I'm really interested to talk to her and see what her take is on on the end of the year and see if she's noticed any any additional pressure or any additional impetus to try and change things for people. Absolutely. So sit back, relax, and when we come back from our first break, we'll talk to Annie. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating? Maybe 
you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Well, hello there and welcome back to Talk Talk, It's Your Life, Matters of the Mind Radio. So, as we teased, poked, and prodded you before our break... We've got a great guest today, probably a tremendous guest given what we've been talking about, failing New Year's resolutions, trying to better your life, trying to overcome things in your life because this lady here is a tremendous overcomer. Her name is Annie McCullough, and as we said, she is the National Director of Marketing at Edwidge Health Network. Hello, Annie. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I am exceptional, thanks. So before we uh, go any further with what's coming up and what you're doing, because we talked a little bit about the recovery symposium and some really wonderful things, can you first tell us uh, yourself a little bit about yourself in terms of what got you into um, the whole addictions recovery field? Well, I guess, um, to, to be honest, it's because I'm in recovery myself. I consider myself to be a person in long-term recovery. My... Um, Sobriety date is August the 22nd, 2008, and uh, for me, you know, being in recovery has been, you know, probably the greatest gift I've ever given myself. When I came into recovery, I was working um, in a large uh, corporate environment, and I'd been there for almost eight years, and I was really, I really discovered through being in recovery that I wasn't very happy in that, in that job, and um, as I was about to say as luck would have it, but it's not luck. It was all part of the plan. The treatment center that I had been to um, out in BC was looking for a communications person. And although I didn't specifically have that background, but I had been a project manager and had done quite a bit of writing, et cetera, they offered me a position there. So that's how I made the switch from kind of corporate IT world to um, working in recovery. And since then, things have really blossomed. And I've become involved with um, Recovery Day, which I helped found in Canada, which I'll talk more about after, as well as founding um, a nonprofit organization called Faces and Voices of Recovery, which is all about, um, you know, putting a face and a voice on the people who are in recovery so that we can help reduce the stigma and raise awareness around the fact that recovery works. And from there, I became, you know, sort of more familiar with what Edgewood Health Network was doing. Um, they invited me to come and, and accept this position in Toronto about six or seven months ago now, and I, so I've accepted that and made the move, and that's where you find me today. I don't want to um, minimize uh, people who haven't been or, or are not doing a dance with addiction, but do you feel personally that a person that's been through it, that has walked the walk, um, brings a different perspective to healing and is able to identify and, and be more compassionate towards someone that's suffering with a type of addiction? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really, I was, it's a bit of a loaded question because, of course, there are many healthcare professionals that are, that are working either, you know, with us or with other organizations that are not in recovery themselves. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that uh, people who, you know, have a good education and have good experience can certainly help those who are, uh, struggling with addiction or, or moving through the process of recovery. But I, I, I do. I, I think I have a bit of a bias on it um, where I think that people who have overcome it themselves um, really understand what it takes 
because um, it's not just about putting down uh, or being abstinent from your from your drug or behavior of choice. It's a, it's about a, a lifelong journey, and and I think people who've been through it have a bit of a have a bit of an edge. I think on on those who haven't. Um, that, but again, that's not to say that you have to have been through through it. But in my experience, most of you know what I've seen through um, either uh, mutual support groups and also in the treatment um, facilities that I've worked in, uh, the patients seem to connect a little bit a little bit better with with the people who've been through it. There's this kind of you know. Uh, we both survived the Titanic kind of a mentality, and 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 so, yeah, I think there's a bit, a bit, a bit of an edge there. Well, you said you said something very interesting. You said lifelong recovery, and that's I think something that only another person that's felt addiction would understand. That 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 nagging pull, that draw towards it, never really goes away. From what I've been told, and and a person that hasn't been through it, who's just looking or been taught from a textbook, really doesn't understand that. I would think that draw well and and I think um, as you and I sort of briefly discussed when we met the other night there there is a um, I believe this is my personal opinion I, I have nothing to validate it I'm not a scientist and a researcher like yourself but I do believe that almost everyone can relate to um, being addicted to something whether it's you know sort of a mild you know I eat too much chocolate you know we certainly have an obesity crisis in our in North America whether it's, um, you know, watching too much television, you know, and then getting into, of course, all the substance and, and food, you know, actual addiction. So I think it's a spectrum. And I think that um, in, in that way, most people would be able to just sort of relate to, oh, yeah, I understand what it feels like when you, you know, only want to have one cookie, but you have 10. Like, you know, I think there's a bit of relating that we can all do on that. Mm -hmm. But yes, the people who have been through, you know, the true sort of physical dependence, the, you know, when you really cross the line into, into you know, hardcore, I hate that word, but, you know, addiction, I think that's where, you know, you sort of really want someone else who's understood it because I, I do, I think it's, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like a drink is calling to me every single day. I don't walk by the liquor store and, and sort of have to, like, you know, really work to not go in. It, it does get easier. But as I said, I don't believe that abstinence is, is recovery. Abstinence is just the very beginning of the journey. And until you get abstinent, you can't even understand what the journey is about. The journey of, you know, as it's, you know, sort of from the head to the, from the, um, head to the heart or from, you know, from outside to inside to moving, you know, to, to being connected, as we talked about the other night. I think, I think addiction is all about connection or, or a lack of connection. And once you get abstinent, you can start to rebuild connection to yourself those around you and I think that's how that connection gets built with them um, with them um, with the healers that people are working with oh I totally agree with you Annie um, and by the way those last two questions were from Todd so when you actually refer to him as a scientist I think he just made his day his <laughs> I year just play one on TV <laughs> and you know what you're now that I've just heard your voices right next to each other I thought I thought it didn't sound right but I'm so sorry oh, I no do worries. apologize I'll chime no, in once in a while yeah, sometimes Todd will use me as like a ventriloquist dummy standing, <laughs> sitting next to him there. No, so you know what? One of the questions I have uh, for you, Annie, and this, it, you know, we as I you brought up, yeah, we had a tremendous conversation the other night. I must say, you're one of the most insightful uh, individuals I've met. Very wise in her years in terms of looking at the whole fun, the gambit of not only addictions but mental health. If you were to ballpark it today. Um, why do you think addictions are on the rise? We have so much 
information out there that says drinking is bad, smoking is bad, you name the vice, it's bad, but yet it's on the rise. And, you know, this is an opinion question or, or an answer comment on your part. What do you think it is that causes it? Well, you know, this, this is my personal view. As you said, it's an opinion question. So about probably three years ago, I stopped, um, I stopped watching television, uh, news, reading newspapers, listening to the radio for, for news items. Um, I, I find for myself that, you know, to be inundated with all the information that we are being inundated with, whether that's through our, you know, mobile devices, through all those media channels I just mentioned, I think we, as a, as a society, like, and again, I can't speak to somebody who's living in Africa or, or, or doesn't have those particular um, uh, pressures, but I think it's, it's a combination of, of expectations that we have placed on ourselves, that society has placed on us. Everything has just gotten so sped up and intensified. Um, so my own personal choice to turn off those um, channels was to, to give myself a bit of space so that I didn't feel... Um, so bombarded with the negativity because I found it almost impossible to to not be sort of just depressed all the time with what's going on in the world. So I think there's a numbing factor that that people just need a sort of something to keep them uh, from feeling all of their feelings, um, which I think if you... And then so there's the denial piece, which I really relate to for all those years that I was drinking and using drugs and had no idea that I had a problem. It really is about denial. So I think it's, it's a combination of that, um, the societal pressure, the amount of information, the, the you know, expectations placed on self, and then the availability, of course, right? I mean, I, I sometimes feel like people, like I know people who have gone to treatment for their addictions and come back with different addictions, more addictions. You know, <laughs> we, we don't really necessarily help people by, by letting them know, you know, this is how, um, you know, you could, just having too much information about what's out there, you know, like people learning about the new drugs or, or the, you know, how people are using drugs differently because the media will, will for, you know, focus on all that negativity and put imagery up there that is, it's not helping, you know. So, so you know, my better answer, though, I think is let's talk about recovery a whole lot more than we are and, and show that there's millions of people who have actually overcome the disease of addiction. They're not cured, but they've overcome it, and they're living a different sort of aware and conscious life, and let's focus on that because we spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, on the negativity. You know, it's really... Uh... I agree with you 100%, you know, when you're looking at it there. And um, you brought something up the other night when we were sitting at a commercial break on a show we were both on, which which really, uh, we kind of started talking about it, but then we had to go right back to the show, which was you brought something up about what is normal and abnormal in today's world. So, and it's interesting because I dealt and have several friends, and I could say several good friends that have been in recovery for a very long period of periods of time, one over 60 years. And today, so many people are involved in vices and bad habits and addictions, Annie. Would it be a fair assumption from what somebody had said to me that addiction is, and bad habits are actually the norm of today's society? Well, I mean, whether it's normal or not normal, Peter, I would say that it's reality. Like, the reality is that most people are using something to numb themselves or to calm themselves down or to cope, you know, as a, as a coping um, strategy. Um, 
and and so yes, I mean, I, I think it's it, you know, I don't, I just think the word normal is is kind of hard. But if you you know if you're trying to sort of use normal versus addiction or normal versus someone who has addictive potential, I think that's where it, I'm not sure how that actually plays out. But I would say that. As a society, especially in North America, I'm not as familiar with, you know, sort of the other countries and, and, and continents, but I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, that Australia and Europe and other places like that would be, must be incredibly similar to, to us here in North America. And I would say that, yes, we are, it has become normalized to be addicted. Like people say it as a joke, like, I'm addicted to coffee or I'm addicted to, you know, Kind of the sillier things that you might not really relate to, but the truth is, I think, yeah, we've we've become so completely disconnected as a society uh, from our, like I said, from ourselves, from our families, our community around us, and from the greater, you know, I mean, that's how we end up with, you know, people knowing that the environment is in dire straits, but we're not doing, you know, we're not doing everything we can. It's it's sort of this mentality of like I can't do anything because I'm just one person, but so nobody does anything, so. I think it's definitely symptomatic of, of, of our society. Speaking of that, there seems to be a culture of celebrity where, you know, every night the news, and maybe this is part of the reason why you've decided to, to tune it out, but it seems like daily we're bombarded with images and videos of, of uh, various starlets and rock stars on TMZ getting caught doing this, that, or the next thing. And then there's a mea culpa a day or two later from their publicist saying, oh, uh, there were some medication issues or whatever. They try and blame it. But then, you know, six months later, we find them dead or, you know, going into rehab yet again. And I wonder, how does that play into young, impressionable minds that are seeing this daily, that their uh, idols are openly courting drugs and, and alcohol? Well, well, I think it goes to show just how desensitized we've all become. I mean, you know, I remember when I was young, um, video games became popular, right? It was, I, I, I never had them, but, you know, people started playing these video games and, and shooting each other and playing all this kind of, you know, negative things. I think that is very similar to what you're describing. It's, you know, if what we see and, and what's, what's been attached to being a celebrity, you know, money and fame and and, and, you know, just having that sort of status has, yes, that's become, that's one of those expectations that I was talking about. I think kids today, that's what they're seeing. I mean, that's why we have a crisis, too, with young people, you know, like you see 10-year-old girls dressed like um, Hannah, or not Hannah, what's her real name? Oh, my Miley God, I was going to call her. Yes. Thank you, Miley Cyrus. You know what I, so, so I think it's all part and parcel with the same thing. It's like all the imagery that people are seeing whether it be on TMZ, whether it be on the news, whether it be in the magazines that they're reading, they're all, you know, there's a reason why young girls are all becoming, not all, but so many of them are, are developing eating disorders. There's so, there's, you know, I'm sure um, researchers are looking at, at these things today and figuring out that, you know, there's a correlation between what we show people on TV and, on, and in the media and then what's happening to our children, right? There's, um, and I personally, I, I love it when celebrities get sober because then, you know, they're able to, to sort of show that other side, and that's wonderful, but I think we should be just as concerned and caring about the regular person, like, like you know, I'm one person who, who is in recovery now, but my story should be just as important as, you know, Robert Downey Jr. or, or any other celebrity that has managed to get into recovery and stay there, because, you know, making it just cool if a celebrity does it is just reinforcing the exact reason why, you know, why celebrities shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't have these distinctions between you're amazing because you have been in movies and 
you know, you, you make all this money. I mean, that should not be what dictates what, what makes someone a celebrity. I think people should, we should all be on equal footing. I mean, that's not going to happen, but, you know, that's my dream. It's funny, though, because I've seen interviews with people that have gotten straight or, or come off something and they go, oh, life was much more fun when I was able to do this, that and the next thing. And I was recently rereading a biography of Jim Morrison. And uh, at one point in time, uh, the there was an agency that came to him and said, look, we really like want you to do a PSA for us about not doing drugs. And he basically strung them along for about 20 minutes, just starting it off really straight saying you know this is Jim Morrison don't do don't do heroin you know do cocaine instead and he just you know made a big mess of it but he treated it very lightly like it was just it was really nothing and it was a little sad to read yeah and i and actually it's funny i read something not too long ago that um one of our canadian heroes neil young has felt really um like he couldn't write as well he couldn't be as creative now that he's um now that he's sober and you know i'm not saying that um I don't think there's anything such thing as social drug use. I mean, drugs are, are anyways, I, I don't really subscribe to, to saying that, but I understand that when you've spent your life kind of being creative when you're under the influence, it probably is difficult. You don't know the difference. I mean, you've, if you've never been uh, right. sober or straight or not high when you've tried to write, it's, right. it's scary. Exactly, but I think if he if if he were to give it some time and be patient with it, which doesn't tend to be most you know patience doesn't tend to be our our strong suit, um, you know he might get to that place where he could be as creative if not more creative I think um, in recovery and I, and I know quite a number of um, you know I was in treatment with someone who's become quite famous now um, in in the hip hop world and and he. Um, Definitely, his his album that he made once he was in recovery was the one that you know won him all the Grammys, and you know so I know it's possible. <laughs> um, but it, it but it certainly um, I, I don't like hearing that that anyone would, would would poke fun at the fact that that they're sober now and that they're you know that you know just downgrade to a to a, a less you know a not so hard drug like Jim Morrison said like that does not you know that's not helpful, <laughs> but. You know, I, I would imagine that he was probably just abstinent. He may not have ever, like we talked about in the beginning, moved into recovery, which is about creativity and rediscovering yourself, or maybe discovering yourself for the first time, which is what happened to me. When I was th- 37 and I got sober, I was like, holy moly, I have no idea who I am. And that was a terrifying thought at first, but then it became an amazing thought that I actually got to meet myself and spend the second half of my life, you know, truly becoming um, who I was always intended, you know, who I was always meant to be. So, uh, absolutely, and I think you know to go back to Jim Morrison. You look at the whole familial dysfunction, you know, being the son of a father that was involved in basically the services or whatever, constantly being moved, feeling rejected, not kind of fitting in with the family sort of deal. And I think that's the root of the matter with a lot of addicts, the fact that a lot of them, as you said, Annie, don't know who the heck they are and they're afraid to look at who they are because they don't like the darkness, the depression, the lack of identity. And I call it an identity crisis. As I said, sitting down with some of my friends who have been clean and sober, let's say, Pete, when I was stoned, when I was drunk, I did my best work. I made millions of bucks and I was the most miserable I ever was. But now that I'm clean and sober and doing what I most love to do, which is spending time with me, quality time with me one-on-one and not having to drink because I'm afraid of seeing who I am inside or who I might not want to see, that's where the issues start. 
So I, I think you kind of sum it up very nicely, Annie. And this takes us to a break. And when we come back, we're going to want to know all about the cool stuff that you do with Recovery, Annie. Thanks, Peter. You are listening to Matters of the Mind Talk Talk on Listen Up Talk Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca. Welcome back to Talk Talk Get Your Life Matters of the Mind. I'm Dr. Peter Sacco, and with me is Todd Miller, as always. And we got a great guest today. We have Annie McCulloch, the National Director of Marketing at Edwidge. Edgewood Health Network Incorporated, which is in Toronto. It's a tremendous organization, but what's even more tremendous is Annie McCulloch, who's doing tremendous work in the field of addictions, but more so in recovery. So with that said, Annie, we were talking before we went to break about addictions in general and many of the pitfalls that folks can fall into. And I've always preached this left, right, center, and whatever stage I can get onto is that addictions do not discriminate. People do. Which, when I mess, my message with that is anybody, everybody, all walks of life, all ages, no matter what country you were from, everybody is susceptible to addictions. 
if it's the right circumstances and you have the perfect storm for it. So with that said, Annie, you're doing a lot of cool stuff in recovery. Tell us about it. Well, um, as you mentioned, um, you know, at first I guess I'll talk about my, my work here at Edgewood Health Network, which is, I think, what's cool about, about that is that we're really trying to help meet people where they are at in their addiction. So not everyone, um, you know, needs to go to inpatient treatment. So um, Edgewood's um, main goal is to, to get people in, get them assessed. We're developing a, a tool that will help people actually know exactly where they're at on the addiction spectrum and what type of uh, care they need, whether that's outpatient, whether that's inpatient, and, and everything in between, and all sorts of, of aftercare services. And, and what we're really trying to do is build a relationship for life with our patients, because as I said, you know, addiction and recovery, it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. So we have um, recently joined with Bellwood Health Services. So Edgewood has been around for 20 years out in Nanaimo. Uh, it's an 80-bed inpatient facility. They do tremendous work there, and now we've joined with Bellwood Health Services here in Toronto. They've been around for 30 years, so we have a combined 50-year history now um, that, that we're working to help people get into, as I said, the right level of treatment, and we're with them for life. We also have these outpatient offices in five cities, and our plans over the next five years are to grow that to about 20 to 25 offices across the country so that no matter where you are, we can meet you and uh, you can do your either pre-care or aftercare in, in our outpatient offices. And we also do online aftercare for people who are in remote places who can't get to those places that are where we offer um, our, our office services. So this is, to me, just a tremendous um, piece of the puzzle in Canada. We just have not had a standardized uh, national option for people until until this Edgewood Health Network came along, so I'm very proud of of being um, working with that. But treatment, as we as we know, is just it's like going to the hospital for your you know your broken arm. It's the acute care phase. It's it's the beginning of the journey. And so once someone is in recovery and actively working their recovery, whether that be you know going to 12-step meetings, whether that be aftercare groups with 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 us or with somebody else. Maybe they're getting some professional help. Maybe they're doing some yoga and other things. So they've got a recovery program going on. Um, for me, what happens then that's exciting is people get happier and they get, and they, get a, they get their lives back or they, you know, have new lives. And then what I'm excited about is having those people share their stories because what, there's too many people living in the, in, the, in the darkness of addiction. So what we're trying to do is shine a light on recovery. And the way that we're doing that here in Canada is by having our recovery day celebration throughout the month of September. We started this in Vancouver three years ago. This will be our fourth year coming up in September. And we've, we've grown from two cities to 13 cities the next year to 25 cities this year. And events like this really help promote um, an awareness around recovery that it works. Um, and from there, we, we started a nonprofit called Faces and Voices of Recovery Canada, whose entire mandate is around reducing that stigma or eradicating the stigma, I should say, around addiction, celebrating recovery, and um, that organization that um, I'm proud to have been a co-founder of is working with the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse to put together the very first recovery summit in Canada that's going to be happening January 27th and 28th in Ottawa. We're bringing together all sorts of healthcare professionals. We have um, decision makers and researchers from across the country, people who are in recovery themselves talking about this and trying to move that conversation forward so that we can set a vision for what uh, recovery should look like in Canada. So that's sort of in a big nutshell the things that I'm working on and, you know, 
feel free to ask any questions more specific than that. You know what, any, I, first of all, that is phenomenal. I think any, anything to do with recovery, anything to do with promoting abstinence, hats off, especially with the organization, what you, what you yourself have endeavored in doing. With that said, though, there's folks out there that are thinking, hey, um, you know, I want to get treatment or I have a loved one that wants to get treatment. Um, in a nutshell, uh, I guess if you can kind of give us a synopsis, what is recovery? What are the forms of recovery, I guess, because you'll have folks out there going, well, I don't want to go do this 60-day thing. I don't want to do a 30-day thing. What are optional recovery protocols? Well, I mean, I guess let, let's, again, distinguish between abstinence and recovery. And, you know, my my opinion is that we don't actually have a working definition of recovery in Canada. Just that's one of the things I'm hoping will come out of this summit is that we can start to talk about what it actually means. Because, of course, you know, recovery from an illness, recovery from um, addiction, recovery from an accident, you know, that could, all those definitions could come in there. So I want to make sure we're clear that we're talking about recovery from addiction specifically. Um, and my belief is that it starts with a, a form of treatment, and that treatment could look different for every single person, right? It could look like, you know, like myself, I ended up in a counselor's office. That counselor listened to my life story and said at the end of it, Annie, do you, have you ever considered that you might be an alcoholic? And from there, those, that seed was planted, and, and I sort of started to look at my life and realized that, yes, this man actually said something that was, <laughs> was true, and I got into recovery. And my path looked like I went to treatment, and I joined a mutual aid group, and I have continued to attend that now for over six years. And I seek professional help when needed for other areas. I, um, you know, I, I do what is what is asked of me or suggested to me in, in my 12-step group. And I practice yoga and meditation, do all sorts of things that round out my recovery. But what it actually looks like to each person is individual. And I love the fact that, that Edgewood Health Network is recognizing that everybody's path is different. Um, but abstinence may not be what everyone is capable of right off the bat. And so, um, you know, again, in Canada, we have a, a sort of huge debate around what harm reduction looks like. But I do think that harm reduction has, has a place on the spectrum of addiction because it's a spectrum disease, meaning, you know, if you haven't gone all the way over into physical dependence, I think there are still people who can learn how to moderate, learn how to, um, um, you know, sort of take it back to... To a, a moderate level, and, and there are others who will not be able to. So I think to define recovery, you have to properly assess where the person is um, on the addiction spectrum to begin with. It's funny that you've mentioned that a couple of times, the uh, the, the spectrum. Um, and it's great that you've got the Edgewood Health Network now to, to distribute those services a, across a greater geographic area. But for someone that isn't aware... Why is it that some people are required to go somewhere off-site, away from where they live? And, and what I'm referencing is there was a TV show called Intervention Canada that I used to like watching, and good or bad for what it did, it really, for my way of thinking, opened the, pulled the curtain back to look at the real effects of addiction. Why is it that you think people, some people are strong enough to stay at home, stay in their job, uh, with certain types of counseling, and other people really need to be removed physically from a situation and be sent somewhere else. Is it, is well, it physical, yeah, mental? No, I think it's exactly what you just said. It's about what types of supports that person has in their life. So for myself, for instance, I still had a job. I still, I was married at the time. I had a house to live in. I hadn't, my addiction had not taken me 
um, so far down this spectrum, if you will, that I had lost all those things and I was not capable of kind of keeping, I, I was still, I don't want to say functioning because it sounds like, it, you know, it, it, was, it was certainly a problem and it needed to, to stop, but I, I had a lot of support. You were holding um, it so together, I guess, in some respects. It, outwardly, we could look at you and say, oh, she's, she's doing well. Well, and that's just it. Addiction, to me, was what was going on inside. It's how I was feeling. It was the unmanageability in my, in my thinking and, how, and, and my emotions that was, that was the problem. But, so everybody's sort of different. And I think when you look at, and that's what our, our, sort of, our assessment tool is going to help people do, or help the person in question sort of realizes, well, let's just say you're talking about an 18-year-old who still has never had a job, has barely made it through school, is still living at home, and the parents are fed up. I mean, that person will likely need to go to treatment and probably live in an extended house or, or, or an extended care facility and then maybe step down to sober living so that they can really rebuild or not even rebuild because they didn't have a build. They, had, they have to build a life in sobriety and in, and in recovery so that they can um, learn some skills. Like what we're seeing so often in, in the treatment center right now is these sort of youngish, what, what I would consider youngish, so maybe 25 to 30-year-olds who've never had a job. They've never had those supports put in place. Um, and so they need to learn how to live in recovery, which is, which is very different, as I said, from just putting down the substance. Um, so I think it's about, it's about where they're at on the spectrum and what supports they have. And of course, you know, addiction being a family disease, we really need to understand that not just the person who's in addiction is going to need to get help, but also the family is going to need to get help as well. Absolutely. And you know what, Annie, you absolutely touch on a lot of great points. I know in my area when I was working in addictions and seeing clients and that stuff, uh, you know, the common theme that I got or the thread that I got, especially working uh, in the area of cognitive behavioral therapy, is that, and it's interesting, that you go from a state, and I guess if you want to say, uh, and once again loosely, the norm, uh, and that's a psychological term, I guess, if you're looking at normal psychology or normal psychological patterning of the mind, you're in a state of enjoyment. That's how I like to look at it. You're actually enjoying life. And then you can kind of see where the wheels are starting to a little bit fall off or it's a, rump, it's a bumpy ride when you start getting into a point of enduring life. And I think with substances or whatever it is. But then I think when you're getting to a point of using substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, gambling, pornography, and you get to a state of existence, that's I think where you have the addiction problem. I don't know if you, would, if you understand that, the premise of where that is and if that's what's out there today. Well, I mean, I, I would say, you know, the, the definition, the true definition, I think, of addiction is, is you know, repeating the same behavior or, or, you know, doing the same substance over and over again, despite negative consequences. So I think, you know, if that's already happening to a person, then, then whatever it is should, should probably, whatever that, that addiction is, should be, should be looked at and discover, wh you know, where it is and how, you know, whether it's possible to, to go backwards or whether there needs to be a true abstinence from that place. But I think you're, um, you know, existing, uh, you know, that I don't, I don't want to just exist. I, I want to live. And I think um, for most people who are in addiction, they're not. They are absolutely just existing. And we need to show them that there's a big, beautiful life waiting for them uh, in recovery. So let me ask you this, Annie. What was your aha moment where you finally got it? Well, um, you know, as I said, I ended up in a counselor's office, and uh, those words, once, they, once I heard them, it, was, it really was like a light bulb that went off, because I had never, not even once, considered that drinking was part of the problem. I went to lots of therapy, 
I even went and saw um, a drug and alcohol person at CAMH probably about five years before I got sober. You know, I, I had looked at, you know, my behaviors, but I, I could not make the connection that, the, that the, the drugs and alcohol were causing all the problems in my life. And so once that seed was planted, it took about, I'm going to say it took about two months. I think it was June when I saw that counselor, and, and by August I had had my, my, my bottom. And, and I do um, call it my bottom, even though probably to lots of people this would, wouldn't have been a big deal. But I blacked out, and it was the first time that I um, came to realize that I had blacked out and had lost several hours and I, and I ended up somewhere I had no idea where I was. I didn't know how I'd gotten there. And as a woman, that was so terrifying to me. I had no, you know, anything could have happened to me. I was in downtown Vancouver. I mean, literally, you know, the, the, to me that was such a scary thought. And because that seed had already been planted, for me that was enough for me to say, okay, this is, this is over. I didn't, it's not even that I, you know, had blacked out many times before. This was the first time that I was truly aware of it. So that for me was enough. That was, that was my aha moment. And, you know, everything since then from, from having that moment of clarity has been a gift, really. So for anybody out there, I guess, listening, Annie, um, that thinks, hey, you know, they're on this, as Tom Cochran would say, the lunatic fringe. Do I have a mental illness? Do I have an addiction? Or is this normal functioning for me? Because, hey, I'm a type A personality that I get the job done. You can call me a social functioning alcoholic, a social functioning drug user. But, hey, I'm pulling in lots of money. I'm getting everything done, and I get to work every time each and every day. Or the person that's basically saying, hey, the only way that I can deal with my depression or exist each and every day, get out of bed and not feel like I want to kill myself, is to drink. What would you say to that type of person to kind of tip the balance in the favor of saying, you need treatment, bud? Well, I think um, the, the, the terrible part about addiction is that it's a disease that tells you that you don't have it, right, or, or you live in denial, as I did for so many years. Um, so it's, it's an interesting question that you've posed because, I mean, yes, you can intervene on a person and you can say, look, these are all the things that we're seeing. You know, here, you, know you put, bring the person's family and friends together literally like they did on Intervention Canada or on, or just, you know, you can do that. But the reality is that the person who is in addiction has got to have their own moment of clarity. You know, sometimes bringing it forward to them can have them sort of have their moment of clarity, but many times it doesn't work and then the person still has to, you know, kind of bang their head against the wall a few more times until they finally um, realize it, but I think there's never, uh, if, if the family is concerned or, or the person themselves is concerned, then I think, you know, at least do the investigating, you know, come and see either us, us at, at Edgewood Health Network or somebody else who offers addiction services and, and at least find out whether or not what you're seeing or feeling, if it's the individual themselves, is, you know, find out if it really is addiction because there are lots of services available, probably never going to be enough for, for what we need, but there are services available. So you know, find out um, if you're curious and if you're a family member and you, and you want to find out um, whether or not what you're witnessing in your family member or your loved one is, is really addiction, you know, do some research and, and certainly we can, we can help at Edgewood Health Network to help you along your path and, and find out where you are on the spectrum and assess you. Um, but I think the most important message I really want to give people is that if you think it's a problem, it probably is. And you don't end up um, in treatment or, or in, a, in, a, in the rooms of a, of a, of a you know, mutual aid group um, by accident. If you're there, you probably are supposed to be there. 
uh, the message I want to leave, though, is hope. There is hope. There is so much beauty in recovery that, you know, if you're feeling terrible right now, um, you know, it, that can change. You don't have to stay where you are anymore. You can, you can come over to the light. And that's, that's what I want to leave people with is that if you're still uh, breathing and you're still, you know, awake, then, then we, there's hope. There's always hope. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. And with that said, we got a couple of minutes before we let you go, Annie. Can you tell us a little bit about the Ottawa event that's upcoming? Well, like I said, the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse, we're very grateful to their help. Um, we had been wanting, Faces and Voices of Recovery had been wanting to put together a summit like this. Um, and the CCSA has come through with some funding from the, from the federal um, um, from the drug treatment funding program, so we've invited about 30 people from across country, different experts, uh, whether they be addiction doctors, um, you know, different recovery experts, and just regular people who are in long-term recovery, as well as their family members. We wanna, wanted to make sure we included sort of, you know, the Al-Anon kind of perspective. As we just said, it's a family disease. So we're coming together for two days to try and create a vision for what recovery um, is going to look like in Canada in the future, set up some guiding principles and, you know, um, have an opportunity at that meeting to, to be in front of some policymakers and, and um, different officials who can actually start to make these changes. So, you know, it's definitely my hope that, um, you know, that we have, we add sort of a fourth pillar to what we've considered to be our, our, um, our strategy around addiction, which is, you know, prevention and treatment and, and some sort of, you know, um, you know, the policing and, the, and that piece. But we've never had recovery as a pillar, and I'm really excited that this may be the first step towards, towards having that um, be recognized nationally. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, so anybody uh, wanting to learn more about Annie McCulloch, uh, who's the National Director of Marketing at Edwidge Health Network, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you, Annie? Well, um, you can definitely reach me through LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me through the edgewoodhealthnetwork.com uh, website. You know, I'm, I'm here at the Toronto office. Um, I'm back and forth to Vancouver quite a bit. Um, and then people who want to learn about Recovery Day and the events that will be happening across the country in September, you can go to recoveryday.ca. And, of course, Faces and Voices of Recovery Canada, um, the website is um, exactly that, faces and voices of recovery.ca. You can sign up there and uh, receive our newsletters and find out about what we're doing to help move recovery forward in Canada. Definitely, folks, check it out. It's a great cause. It's an amazing organization that goes on and it's led by an amazing woman, Annie McCulloch. Thank you so much for joining us, Annie. Thank you so much, Peter. Have a wonderful day. And you, uh, listeners, can easily go to our uh, blog page, talk-radio.ca slash blog, and find this wonderful blog post about Edgewood Health Network and all the links to their social media and websites. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio. to talk talk it's your life matters of the mind and as usual great show great guests who had a lot to say and hopefully those listening lives will be touched 
lives will be changed because of the great things that Annie had to say today. And just folks know there is always help out there, especially if you have an addiction or you have a loved one that has an addiction, don't wait. There's no time like the present. We talked about at the beginning of the show, New Year's resolutions, keeping them. And the only thing that you have is right here, right now, the present moment. So if it's an addiction and it's a loved one that's hurting or you yourself hurting, reach out and get the help that you need. And I, and just in closing, I mean, I think one of the things that um, Annie left us with was was hope. She's someone that's walked the walk, talked the talk, and flipped her life around. And I'm running into more and more of these people that had the... That, that turned it around and they've, they've taken their lives back and they're in the best spot in their lives ever. And uh, we hope that if any of you that are listening um, or a loved one um, that are struggling, reach out, reach out to Edgewood, reach out, reach out to uh, a local agency, a doctor, um, emergency, whatever you need to get the help that you require. And you can catch us every Wednesday at 8 p.m. If you have a question or topic, by all means, find us on Facebook. Listen up talk radio at talk-radio.ca on the web. Call us, 866-269-6155. And, of course, Twitter, at Listen Up Talk. Anything else to add, Dr. Sacco, before we leave for this week? Definitely. Always remember to use a motto and slogan from those in recovery, one day at a time, and inch by inch, everything is a cinch. See you next time on Talk Talk It's Your Life, Matters of the Mind. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at at listenuptalk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pills. That man is not your man. And that's why I'm...